You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. All right, everybody, welcome to the Here for the Truth podcast. Eurosimos, you know, correct me this time for mentioning that twice or? No, actually, you uh, learned from your errors. Thank you. <laughs> did I? I don't know. I don't think I did. <laughs> Guys, what a freaking episode. We just wrapped up with David Whitehead. Um, This one's absolutely mind-blowing. We go deep into the occult history of the royal families and actually what it means for you, what it means in the bigger picture, what it means for your personal life and how we can actually deal with this and move forward in a really empowered way. I just want to share with everyone, especially for the long-term listeners, for the last year, you've probably heard on and off um, about me being fined for sitting in the park um, eating a cucumber. I've shared this story um, numerous times regarding the whole COVID public health order bullshit. So finally, I had my day in court um, regarding my dangerous criminalistic acts of eating said cucumber in said park with my family. And I defended myself. I presented myself. So did my wife. And we actually won. Um the the magistrate eventually um, dismissed us from the court and dismissed the allegation altogether. So I just wanted to share that with you guys and thanks for your support. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's a little win for the, for the little guy there. That being said, also um, our private membership community, Friends of the Truth, um, that's now by application only. Um, what you get in there is three calls a month. You get a community call. You get a live teaching presentation by us, and you get a guest expert call um, with one of the names that you've become familiar with from our podcast. Last week, we had Jaguar Hart. Last month, we had Jaguar Hart. This month, we actually have David. Uh, so David Whitehead's are joining us in October, and our members will get the chance to interact directly with David, ask him questions, be in the same room, and join the conversation. So if that's something that you're interested in, that you're interested in. Sorry, I'm mumbling all over the place today. Please head to friendsofthetruth.co and you can learn everything you need to know and apply for that there. Um, without any further ado, here is David Whitehead. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. We have our first ever three-time returning guest, the amazing David Whitehead, Truth Warrior in the house. For those that are familiar with our podcast, they know that the origins of um of us and our platform actually were born from from partly david's effort also he is the host co-host of the unslaved podcast he's the host of the truth warrior podcast he's the producer and creator of the incredible cult of the medic series which i highly recommend everyone go check out and today we're diving into the occult history of royalty and royal families david's prepared some information for us and i'm looking forward to this one david welcome back to here for the truth Joel, Erasmus, I love you guys. I'm so glad to be back. I'm glad to see your show is blowing up. You're doing great work. And this will be a fun subject to dive into. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks for bringing me back. Absolute pleasure, man. We love you too. Um, how do we get started on this one? Yeah. What are your thoughts st- on the queen? What are your thoughts on the queen <laughs> and, her pa- and her recent passing? Queen's a lizard. Uh, no, I don't know. Uh, let's think of it like this. Um, you have a certain power structure that operates in the world. In one sense, it looks like it's just a bunch of decoration from, you know, times past, which is this royal families and all that. 
But on another sense, there is a power structure that's behind these royal families, both in Britain, in uh, you know Holland, Sweden, all over, and even in the, the the Middle East, the Far East, in Chinese, Japanese cultures. There's always been these oligarchs, these royal families, these dynasties that have ruled over and governed the affairs of all the all us serfs, all us plebes, and I feel. I've been feeling this for a while when I started looking at what this World Economic Forum and the UN and all that was trying to create for the past few decades, um, that when you really read it, it looks and reads a lot like feudalism and serfdom from the Middle, middle Ages. The only difference is, of course, now they have technology that they didn't have back then. And so I've been calling it the return of feudalism with a technocratic twist. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of the way to introduce why I was even curious to look into the history of the royal family and get into this royalty. I also have to tip my hat to Michael Cesarian, who I know you guys have had and I work with on Unslaved. I learned so much from him. Uh, it was people like him and and other authors and researchers that got my curiosity to even look into not just what people, like all the rumors that are talked about when it comes to the queen and the royals and all these different people, but to actually start with the symbolism and look at their rituals, their ceremonies, um, and starting to just pay attention to all the pageantry and all the flair, basically. And when you start looking into that stuff, it's just endless. It's mind-blowing, especially when I've done this research on, on, uh, with many different people on my show and other colleagues on symbolism, religion, the occult, secret societies, the bloodlines the history of the Vatican, the empires, the British empire, the three city states. There's so many elements that plug into all of this. And um, I feel like this is a prime time for us to discuss it because we have the death of Queen Elizabeth II. And now we have the swearing in of a new king. There's a new king in town. The new Lion King is Charles and uh, Duke of Wales. And so we want to know who these people really are. Uh, There's one camp that would say that the royals are they have no power they're just a bunch they're decorations they're public uh, resource people they're they just get up on the cameras and there's a bigger bigger group behind them i think there's a lot of validity to that but i also don't want people to discount just how much power these royal families have yeah. and when we say crown when we say you know the queen holds the crown or the royal family holds the crown what is the crown? Because there's the physical crown, which is an interesting study in itself, the history of that crown, Queen Victoria and all that. Um, and then there's also the crown corporation run out of the city of London and the Templar dragon symbolism that's all over that. So that's just how I'm going to set the table and we yep. can start to get into specifics. But there was a few things that I noticed And I haven't even done a deep dive into the symbolism of the queen's funeral and that ceremony. But um, one thing really jumped out at me, which indicates what I'm talking about, why this is important for people to know that this isn't just some old tradition. It's just decoration or whatever. Um, There was a ceremony that was called the breaking of the wand or the breaking of the staff ceremony that was conducted over the casket of the queen at the funeral. Um, And, I've got more notes on that specifically to give you the history of it. But right out of the gate, you're like, what are, what's this breaking of the wand? What are wands and all that doing in a allegedly 
what would she be considered like the Protestant side of the Christian Christendom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's what what is there in Christianity that shows that we're dealing with wands and goats and some of these symbols that come from ancient Druidism? Uh, we also had videos of the queen being sworn in to a through a Druidic ceremony in uh, like I think it was the forties or something like that. There was a video going around that I find interesting. And um, so there's so many different areas to explore just to give you hints as to who we're dealing with here, what kind of power they really hold. And then the final part of this opener would be leaving the queen aside for a minute. Who's this new king? And what's the symbolism of a birth of a new son, a new king that comes in? He's the new royal lion, allegedly. And what's he involved with? Well, I just did a whole show, which I do have my notes up as well, uh, on King Charles and the Terra Carta. So he has created a new mandate called the Terra Carta. And I went through probably three, three and a half hours of, uh, of a show where I went just to the Terra Carta website itself. I didn't go to conspiracytheory.com. I went to that website and I combed through it for days and just picked out the certain keywords and phrases. And even they have a whole section on that site dedicated to the symbol of the Terra Carta. And I thought that was interesting that they're even created a whole page just on what the symbol really means. And it's headed up by King Charles. And I don't think he personally wrote any of this stuff. It's all signed by his majesty. But uh, I think he's got writers and there's a whole thing that's behind these royals. But the Terra Carta, what are we talking about? Well, it's a play on the Magna Carta, which has been known for over 800 years to have been where we got all of our rights from the ancient system of feudalism. We achieved finally individual rights, property rights, all of that under these royals. And what we're being told with this Terra Carta is that the Terra Carta is going to replace the Magna Carta. And think about it. Terra is referring to the earth, Mm -hmm. right? So it's the charter or the mandate, it's called a mandate, the mandate for earth. That's what the Terra Carta means. And if it's replacing the Magna Carta, which was based on individual human rights, the difference with the Terra Carta setup is that this will be bestowing nature with rights. And I know all the hippies are like, yay, finally, we're giving the trees in my backyard rights. That's not what it means. Uh, it In my reading, I think they're talking about demoting human rights, promoting nature rights as a strategic way to be able to push humans off the rural land, gain control and acquisition of land and resources. And uh, by promoting nature rights over human rights, because we just saw all of our human rights get totally squashed. Remember that over the pandemic? Sorry, Um, what what are you talking about with that? I can't remember anything. Oh, you don't remember all the rights? Oh, okay. Well, we did lose some human rights, apparently, <laughs> bodily autonomy, you know, all those. I know it's a bother for people, but, you know, I personally enjoyed having those rights. I don't know about you guys, and it kind of <laughs> sucked that we lost them. Um, and there's a few things that are orbiting in this satellite around this whole Terra Carta, which is, of course, the World Economic Forum. Um, a lot of people don't know that Prince Charles was at the beginning founding of the World Economic Forum. There's pictures of him and Klaus Schwab going way back into the 80s. Um, and he, if you read through the Terra Carta website, and this is what I did in my show, it is chapter and verse from the United Nations and the World Economic Forum website. So it is completely involved with this entire thing. So they've, they've taken control of the economic system, 
through the World Economic Forum and that whole, the banking and all that. Uh, they've taken over the medical system through the cult of the medics, which you can learn about in my docuseries. And this is what happened with COVID, with the medical technocracy. And now they're also using the climate. And that's where the Club of Rome lineage comes in. And this, and and so these royals are orbiting around all of this at the top. And they are the ones going out and writing these new mandates for this new world order. So there's the table. I've just set it and we can go anywhere from there. I'd like to get everyone on the same page. So just to define feudalism for those listening, um, feudalism was the dominance was the dominant social system in medieval Europe in which the nobility held lands from the crown in exchange for military service and vassals were in turn tenants of the nobles, while the peasants or serfs were obliged to live on their lord's land and give him homage, labor, and a share of the produce. Um, so this is what David's hinting at is something which we maybe still be experiencing. And David, if you can, can you just let the people know what Druidism is? You mentioned that a couple of times in terms of the Queen's initiation. Well, Druidism, this is the this goes well back. Um, it's been demonized by Christianity. Uh, it was one of their main adversaries uh, when Rome had the most difficult time conquering the uh, that whole uh, it'd be those peoples from the West that were not going along with the takeover of the whole, all of Christendom. And, you know, there is an ancient Druidic practice that actually dovetails. If you want to get the real history of that, you can go to uh, Michael Tessarian's website on the Irish origins of civilization. He breaks down how a lot of the symbolism that was adopted by Christianity and all of these religions came from more ancient groups. And one of those ancient groups is the Druids. Um, and it's not necessarily... Like we look at it as, oh, it's Druid, it's evil, it's all that. That's not the, that's not true at all. Uh, Druidism is a is a it's a nature worship religion. It's it's very similar to Amonism out of Egypt. Um, and uh, you know, there's good and bad to all of these traditions. I'm not saying they were all saints either, but the the, the traditions that they held were where Constantine and the Roman Empire came in, and they plundered a few different ancient cults to actually create the Catholic Christian religion, which is based on Mithraism, uh, you know, 16 major movements and religions where they had basically uh, plagiarized them and then copied and pasted them into their canon. And one of those was Druidism. And you can see it by all the tree symbolism, the olive leaves, the, the wheat shafts, um, even the idea of, of the nature worship and the nature uh, concept of man being an emanation of nature. Uh, we got a lot of that out of ancient Egypt and the ancient Druids, Celts, the Irish, all of that. And um, because it was so free flowing, the church had to, you know, put a clamp on that and try to bolster Christianity at that point. So there's a whole history of Druidism that could be a podcast in itself. Yep. I'm not necessarily the expert on it. Uh, I'd bring Michael on for that one if I were you, and he could probably blow your mind with that history. But just to know that those rites, rituals, and ceremonies were preserved by these mystery school, secret society traditions. It, a lot of it got funneled into masonry um, because of the Templar connection and all of that. Um, and so what we see is these elite royal families and these elite families, Hollywood, everything else, even Hollywood comes from the Druid wand of Hollywood and all that. Mm. Um, that they're still keeping those rituals and rites and traditions alive 
but they it's a tainted version of it. It's a totally bastardized version of it. It's not the real thing. And they knew that these mystery school traditions, these ancient uh, fountains of knowledge had knowledge of how to build agriculture, build empire, build cities, build religion. And they saw that as an opportunity to use that knowledge. Uh, these dark elites I'm talking about use that ancient knowledge as a way of wielding power. And so it's not the knowledge itself. This is what we got to get out of everybody's head. It's not the knowledge itself that's evil. It's not the traditions or the symbols themselves that are evil. It's just that evil people have, have grabbed them because they are attractive to us because all symbolism is, it comes from nature. And they know how powerful that ha that that type of symbolism has over our mind, and so they use it to um, you know display to the masses that they are the new leaders, they are the new kings and queens, they are the the shining ones. Um, but really, they're just fakers that are wearing those costumes. They've bastardized these traditions, and they're using them for very very dark agendas. So it's just a base of knowledge that could be used for good or evil, depending on who wields it. Is, is that when like people think about the word occult, they get, they automatically think it's like evil, whereas that's not the case. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, occult, it comes from Latin occultare, which just is talking about the occultation or the hiding of a moon or a sun that's being eclipsed, right? It's, like it's talking about the eclipse. So when something is occulted, it's something that has been hidden. So it just literally just means hidden, that which is hidden. So that which is hidden, which would be all the secrets that they don't want the masses to know about, has always been demonized by the pulpit or by, you know, just society in general, because there's a desperate need for these people to not let you see the secrets that they've kept from you. So yeah. it's not evil. It's just they told you it was evil. So you'd never go and look into it. Yeah. And this is where the power of symbolism really comes into play. You know, I know Michael's done so much work on it. You guys have talked about an unslaved and everything we've talked about right now, it always makes me think of that. I think it's a manly, manly P hall quote, whereas like when human, the human race, when human beings like learn to read the language of symbolism, a great veil will fall from the eyes of men. And That's it's right. like, it's all there. And I know you've spoken about in previous podcasts and with all with the slides that, that I had seen, like just all the symbolism with all this pageantry, with the coronation, with, with funerals, et cetera. And it's like, what are these things? Where do they come from? Like, do people just watch these and just think it's completely random and they, and it means nothing? It's like, oh, well, they just wanted to throw a, a whole shit ton of money into this 10-day-long like affair, whatever, however long it is, and spend all this money when it's like, no, there's there's they're so ritualistic. So on that note, I'm curious, because you talked about um, ancient Egypt. You know, you talked about these royal families. So maybe... If you can get into, I know it's a really deep subject, but can you talk a little bit about how these royal families, they're, they're related, they connect to these the uh, pharaohs from ancient Egypt? Right, yeah. Uh, there's been allegedly, I can't confirm every source, right? It's hard to find good stuff, but allegedly the queen herself has spoken about having lineage to the pharaohs of Egypt. Um, and if that for whatever reason, didn't turn out to be true. We know she had said at one point that we, referring to the royal family, we are older than capitalism. We are older than communism, um, which is just kind of giving, there's little hints that they give you as to how old they are, but you don't have to go farther than their symbolism, like you're saying. So you don't have to really go off of what they're saying, 
Um, you go by what they're telling you symbolically. That's that is how you bypass all the censorship and all the misinformation and all the fact checkers and knowing, well, what's what? You just look at the symbolism and the rituals and you go, oh, right. <laughs> There's nothing whatsoever to do with uh, what people think it is. It's not just some decoration. It's not just some tradition they're trying to bring out from the past. Uh, there's a reason why. There's a very ritualistic reason why. These people want to be the pharaohs again. They want to recreate. I don't think people really, really understand just how vast, how ancient, and how powerful the, the Egyptian dynasties were. Um, both the good ones and the bad ones. There was a bit of both going on over there. And if you want to get into conspiracy, that word conspiracy or that kind of research of uh, seeing intrigue and cloak and dagger, just start studying the history of ancient Egypt and that will just open your eyes. Talk about, talk about conspiracy. It's all there. Um, so they, there was so much power. They were so ancient. They were so wealthy. They say that Egypt, the, the empires of Egypt lasted longer than the time of Egypt to where we are now. So, and look wow. at the British empire, even how young is the British empire? How young was the Roman empire, the Babylon, look at all of them. And then just think the Egyptian dynasties ruled, the pharaohs ruled longer than from the time they ceased till now. So just to give people an idea of age, and then remembering that people came from all over the world to Egypt to bring gifts and slaves and libraries and information and all that kind of stuff. And they held that inf information into a lot of these great libraries, many of which were later burned down. Uh, some authors believe a lot of that, those books and that knowledge got destroyed. I don't think that happened. I think that knowledge was whisked away underground into these secret society networks and, and held by these bloodline elites. Um, and I should say something about that. That's another indication. Yeah. What do royalty walk on when they will get out of their carriage or they walk into some event that they're going to be speaking at. They walk on the red carpet. And right away, that's a symbol. That's an ancient symbol that's symbolizing the bloodline. All the kings and queens and pharaohs and rulers would rock, walk the red carpet. Meanwhile, all the, all the serfs were just sort of cheering from the sidelines behind the fence. Uh, they weren't standing on the red carpet because they're not bloodline. So we know historically that a lot of these rulers, whether you're talking Roman Caesars, Egyptian pharaohs, uh, British Empire, the Windsor family, which is really a German family that goes back to the Saxe-Coburg-Gothas because Queen Victoria married into that family. Um, they're not British at all. Uh, those families, those people that have been called the black nobility families, which we can get into to define that. And black, not meaning because they come from Africa, black meaning because of their deeds. Their deeds mm. were dark and evil. That's why they call black nobility. But um, what I'm trying to say is that all these types of elites have been obsessive about preserving their bloodline. Uh, or when they marry certain families, it's all strategic. It's their strategic marrying off of certain sons, daughters, dukes, etc., so that there's strategic alliances throughout history. But those strategic alliances never break outside of what they feel is their bloodline. A it's, good book to get into on that is Holy Blood, Holy Grail by Gardner. Uh, um, yeah. And some of these other ones, Da Vinci Code touches on it. Uh, 13 Bloodlines of the Illuminati by Fritz Springmeier. He gets into this a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, when you're talking the royal families, as we see them, their lineage, and they show this through their symbolic ceremony, 
goes all the way back through history. And there's so much Egyptian and ancient Judaic symbolism in their rituals that it's, it's when you start to see it, you won't unsee it. It's literally all over the place. So just so we know, you can find out where these people come from literally by just looking at what they're showing you. Yeah. They also were very ancestral as well. These Royal families, you know, they're, they're marrying like first cousins and things like that, which um, I'm sure have an impact on their health also. Yeah. Well, you can look up something, I think it's called hemophilia. You guys already heard of that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where this is what happens when you're um, having these, and they actually were known even in Victorian times that the elites had this problem with hemophilia because they were marrying each other's cousins. Because again, this was the obsession was keeping the bloodline pure. And that's maybe one explanation as to how they look down upon the rest of humanity, because they look at the rest of humanity as just a bunch of farm animals that mingled in with each other over centuries. And so we're all just like little pieces of something. And so we're like the dirty, unclean. And that's why they look at us as being less. They look at you as less than simply because your genetic code is not intact in the way theirs is. Uh, meanwhile, they're the ones with like these weird, freaky disorders. And we've seen hemophilia can also breed psychopathy into the race and you know, look at the deeds that have been done under the watch of these monarchs. So for those people that are going to have all these arguments as to why they love the royal family, uh, first of all, everything you've been told about the royal family came from the media. Um, and so that should be thought of with a grain of salt. And second, um, a lot of what is known publicly about the royal family is literally only a fraction of the knowledge to be learned. And um, all you got to do is look at their deeds and look at what has come into the world under their watch. And I use that same argument when we we're talking about the medical system for cult of the medics, because it's all related, is if this was just oh, science made a few mistakes or we had a few corrupt people here and a few over there, but we fixed our ways and we're genuinely good and we're trying to help humanity. If it was all benevolent, why under their watch do we see the proliferation of disease, chronic illness, cancer like we've never seen before that never existed in the ancient times, um, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, and so many crimes and felonies that have been committed by these companies and they get a slap on the wrist and they're still in business. So I say, well, if under their watch, we're seeing more control, uh, more disease and death due to their so-called solutions. And then when it's the same with these royals under their watch and under the watch of the people behind them who really run the thrones, uh, we've seen war, genocide, uh, you know, expansion of power, centralization of power and, and all these things that we're talking about. So if these people, if, and let's do another thing, if, if the Royal family of England is supposed to be the protector, they're sworn in to be the protector of England, the protector of the crown, which means they're the protectors of Western civilization. Look at what's happened to Western civilization under their watch. It is being systematically dismantled and destroyed, and they are actually behind the steering committees and in league with the financers of those people, like the George Soroses, et cetera, that are committing this, right? Um, and I could go on and on, but I just say the proof is in the actions. And it's also, you can get a lot of hints by studying the symbolism. Yeah. I just want to comment like the degree of illusion and amnesia that 90% of the world are under regarding the royal families and the occult history of it and, you know, their, their true motivations, et cetera. It's been pretty, it's been pretty successful. Like how have they possibly remained hidden 
in terms of all the nefarious activities they're involved in to 90% of the world to such a degree where most of us just think of, oh, you know, most people think, oh, yeah, the royals, you know? I just put like... Mm. Well, that's why. Because we think like that. Um, These people have knowledge that goes well before MKUltra, right? To know how to control the masses. I mean, they've been at this for thousands of years. That... Those manuals of how to control the mass mind and keep them chasing carrots on sticks and and get them to worship you, that's an ancient playbook that they know. And I think that's what this is all about. In the end, all that wealth, all that power, all that intrigue, that's it's not about those things as much as it's about energy farming. I think it's about energy farming in the end, is they want to be worshipped and adored, right? That's why they go to such great lengths to make these ceremonies and these rituals that are actually like, if you watch the queen's coronation, the coronation ceremony that happened for queen Elizabeth and Michael did, if you go to unslave premium, you can go look up the queen's coronation. And he did a whole analysis of just going through the coronation. And there's so many elements of it that are actually astrological um, that have to do with Venus, the sun, uh, the moon, a lot of lunar symbolism. And the reason this stuff is so powerful is because that was where heaven was for the ancient people. That's where the gods resided. They resided in the heavens, right? And the ancient peoples didn't have IMAX screens and PlayStation 5 and Call of Duty and whatever we do. Like they, they weren't distracted by that. They were out there looking at the heavens and studying nature. And they would look at the heavens and the stars and they would create stories out of what they saw. And it was a way that they would navigate reality right so this is something embedded in our genetic level that we respond to all these symbols so all these royals have to do is walk in and go look we're the gods we're doing the seven sisters the seven sisters of pleiades or whatever we're doing the 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 sun rays you guys love the sun right we're doing the moon cut like they're doing the song and dance that attracts people to power because they when they adorn those symbols of power and symbols of influence, people then connect to the characters of the queen, the king, whoever, the celebrity, Madonna, doesn't matter. They connect to that personality and then they externalize their own inner potential and their own inner um, divinity and and all of that and and their own inner royalty. I look at humans as genetic royalty because we're such a unique mix of things. We give up our own royalty and we project it onto these clowns who are just criminals, criminal yeah. gangs, and they, they love to be worshipped. And then we worship them instead of understanding what all those symbols were actually there in the original to teach you, which was that that's the canvas of the heavens right there. You are a product of nature. You were made perfect, etc. But they don't want you to know that because they want you to give them the power. And before they start conquering your land and colonizing your country and doing all that physically, they know how to colonize your mind. And that's how they're able to achieve this brainwashing on mass where they project a false persona to the world of what they are. But yeah. deep down, we know they're nothing like it. I mean, if I asked you guys, anybody listening right now that's skeptical of what I'm saying, if I said, do you really believe your politicians uh, that you're having to kneel before and follow what they're putting into law. Do you really believe that these are like the, the best and brightest? Like, do you really believe that these people are worthy of A, your trust and B, your allegiance? Are they worthy of that? I bet you most people 
if we were sitting over a beer, we'd say, no, they're not. These guys are a bunch of idiots, right? Especially here in Canada, we got Trudeau for crying out loud. So, um, but then when I say, okay, but why then are you, you're going to agree with me on the politicians, but then you're going to go and, and, and start like a, a big, uh, you'd be weeping at the feet of the queen when she passes. You'd be the one telling me that the royals are just this benign thing. I mean, do you know how low on the totem pole your prime ministers and your presidents are when it comes to the hierarchy and how it works, right? So um, they've got this, they've got us on this hamster wheel of we used to worship the gods, right? Humanity. Um, and we can split hairs as to whether the gods were just planets or comets or uh, ancient aliens or whatever. Uh, we used to worship the gods and everything was about sacrificing to the gods and getting the gods to help us make sure that the crops grow and all that kind of stuff. Well, all these royals did was come in and say, well, we're the gods now. We're the vicars. We're the stand-ins, all your popes and all these people. So people then go, oh, well, I used to worship the real thing, but now I'm just going to come over and worship you guys and I'll trust you blindly. And um, sadly, the whole human race is stuck on this cycle, except for us renegades. <laughs> just think about like for everyone listening, how consistently the royals like always in all the tabloids, like even myself growing up here in Australia, like all like women's magazines, the tabloids, like all the new ideas, stuff like that. Every single week, it's like a, like a just a story about the royals, like something like, you know, very benign. Um, but it's, the imagery is always constantly there, even for the kids watching them, you know, walking through the shops, just seeing the magazines on the stands see the queen, you see the prince, you see the latest girlfriend, whatever it might be. Yeah. They're all dressed up. They're, they, they show up at Wimbledon. They're at every, they're all at the sporting events, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Here. And everybody goes, Oh, like even the celebrities. Yeah. You know, like when you find the other thing about this is just think of it very simply. The queen of England has had 100% positive press coverage for her entire life. Since she was he's coronated. He's perfect, bro. What are you talking what about? What kind of power do you have to have to get that kind of press? And then do you remember? So my grandmother, she would kill me if she knew what I actually thought of the queen because she was in the Canadian uh, forces during World War II. She was a seamstress for the Air Force. And all the women, all the grannies from her age, she's like 97 or something now, they all kind of look like the queen. They all have the same haircut. They still act. And... She like they all idolized the queen because at that time the queen was looked at as part of the British, uh, the like the Britain stopping the Nazis, right? Like that was supposedly the connection that they made. I wish my grandma had time to go through the fact that there's a major Nazi connection to the royal family that nobody wants to talk about. It's kind of an elephant in the living room, and that, um, do they really think? that these types of people are to just be totally trusted because of what? Because of the image that's been projected by the media to you? Because that's the old, nobody's ever met the queen and talked to her in person. And if they did, it was probably very superficial. But nobody really knows for sure, right? So I feel bad for these old people that grew up with that kind of propaganda. And only now do we have access to the information to actually go, there's a conversation that needs to be had, Grandma. I'm really sorry to tell you, but it's not the way they told you that it would be. The, the the queen to all the grannies is like Kim Kardashian to all the millennials right now. <laughs> <laughs> She's like Kim Kardashian. It's true. They create these characters. And then what do we do? The good parts of us. My grandma's one of the best people I know. Okay. She's one of the most generous, loving, 
she's smart, you know, but she grew up in that time. And don't forget too, that Disney came out during that time and took all, all those Disney movies are all pillaged from the ancient myths and legends from all over, specifically the Western tradition. And instead of doing it in like a Tolkien, like uh, presentation of, of these myths, they boil them down into these little stories. I'm not saying they're all bad, but Again, it's this idolization of queens and princesses and being saved by the knights in shining armors and these chivalric guys and all this stuff and you and the pageantry. And to this day, like my wife, she she talks to her mommy friends and they're all doing little tea parties for the queen and the, their daughters are wearing princess stuff. Everybody I know, their daughter's going to be the queen for Halloween this year. Right. Like, you every, know what I mean? Every, every little girl wants to be a princess. Every yeah, single little girl wants to be a princess. only knew, man, what this what this whole empire really is all about. You, you wouldn't even go near it. Yeah. Hang on, I'm, just, I'm just emailing the snippet to your grandmother. One second. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, grandma. If she even I'm only trying internet. to do good. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> that's wild. But even for all those people that think that the these royal families are, are they're just benign or they're, they're just uh, figureheads or they don't really do anything. Isn't it uh, like Trudeau and a lot of other leaders in in Commonwealth nations? They they like offer their allegiance to the queen when they be, when they take power. I say take power. Isn't like don't you have yeah. to like bow down to the queen in order to be the prime minister of Canada? Yeah. So I'm glad you brought it up because this really clinches it. I have a legal book from a Canadian law book from like 1881, and the opening pages are just a whole big slobber fest over the queen and how we have to swear allegiance to the queen every prime think about a prime minister okay and minister comes from moon star just so you know the ancient astrological stuff but the prime minister who is he administering on behalf of is it the people of canada or is it the queen of england okay and when i say the queen of england we're not just talking about her the person we're talking about the Order of the Garter, the Knights of Malta, the whole deal that's behind her, okay? The City of London. Um, again, she's, to a, to a degree, she's a figurehead. But she does wield power on that level legally because of the fact that Canada is a British colony. We didn't fight a revolution like America did and tell King George to F off and create our own country and win for a day until we were infiltrated later. But uh, we we just went along and actually Canada didn't even want to become a country. We kind of got forced into it. We signed a federal agreement and it was all under the governor general, which is the governor general literally interfaces with the British crown. So there's the governor general. Then there's Trudeau down here who literally just reads teleprompters and does jack all. The guy's high most of the time. Okay, so he's not running anything. He's just another figurehead that signs some documents and globe trots all over the place while lecturing you about climate change. And then he just does an official, like he's like a, he's like a manager at a Wendy's, right? But there's like the board level, the CEO, the investors that created Wendy's. and pro- So that's the British crown. He also They're looks like CEO. Fidel Castro too. He also looks like Fidel Castro, but he, let's, that's another. <laughs> let's be honest. Okay, let's be honest. Uh, his mom, uh, Margaret Sinclair, uh, who I believe was a member of the St. Clairs or the Sinclairs, which is one of the Templar families that came over from Scotland. Um, she was known as a loosey-goosey. It was just in Canada, it, you can talk to some of the old people like, oh yeah, we know Margaret got around, right? 
And you see the pictures of her hanging out with Castro and they kept going back to visit and you're, and you look at Trudeau and you're like, uh, and then you look at his policies. Holy shit. It's like a carbon copy of this guy. Um, but that the, the aside, pictures are uncanny, man. Anyways, the pictures are uncanny, but anyways, continue. The pictures are uncanny. I, I think, I think there's something to it. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of family. Like if you're preserving bloodlines, and there are many bloodlines, right? But they're all these central bloodlines. There's little, there's a lot of people in this game, American presidents related to the royal family, uh, et cetera, right? There's relations at the top. So when we talk about the mafia family, like, you know, in The Godfather, it's like the family. Mm. It's, it's legit. It's a family. And if you're not bloodline, you're related by ideology and you were sworn in. You were sworn in behind these lodge doors and you now pay homage and you serve this empire, right? So all the legal books, every RCMP officer that gets sworn in, who's our police, they're the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Uh, every prime, uh, every local politician, they all swear an oath to the Queen of England. And then when you know the relationship between the British Empire, the history under Queen Victoria, how she literally built the wealth of the British empire off of the opium trade in China and totally raped China uh, and built that wealth off of that. And then you start to wonder, are these the same kind of people that are still running the Colombian drug trade and all the drugs today and all the fentanyl? And then I started asking the question about, is that we know that all these pharmaceutical companies build their products off of petroleum and also off of uh, cocaine, their cocaine derivatives, right? Opium derivatives. well, that market was already conquered by this British establishment, the British East India Company, the British Dutch Company, the, you know, you can get into Dr. John Coleman's work on that. So that empire, the throne she sits on is a throne of lies, man. It's a throne of crime. It's a throne of drug trade, human trafficking, violent uh, crime, assassinations of other leaders that didn't play ball. Um colonization, all the colonization and all that shit that you hear the lefties complaining about. They're not, why are they not, why are they not going to the actual source? They're blaming all Western people for this crime that was committed by very specific agencies, the church and the crown, the crown and gown. That's your culprits right there. Okay. And they are still in office. They're still being worshiped. And even if they change one out, they'll bring another one in. And don't you find it interesting that now the new king is totally in bed with the UN and the World Economic Forum and all that stuff. Uh, there's no coincidence there because this, I think, is the modern version of how colonization and empire expansion is done. It's through what they're doing now. Create a plague, create a crisis, um, and then you know move in, seize the control, plunder the wealth, build the next version of your empire. And that's what, that's what we're doing. That's what this pandemic was all about. That's what the uh, food shortages are all about. That's what the war in Ukraine is all about. This is a battle between ancient lines uh, for for control. Uh, That's what, uh, so all of history now comes into bear to give us a lot of information about what led up to where we are right now. Um, Even getting into the connection with what would happen in Germany, what happened in the Soviet Union, all of that are just little cliff notes and chapters out of this book of the damage that's been done by these elite royals um, and their prodig- prodigies. And um, if they trace their lineage back to the Egyptian pharaohs, they would be tracing them specifically back to the Hyksos pharaohs, 
which uh, you get into Ralph Ellis's work on the the histo- Hyksos. Um, this is the true story of the Old Testament. This is the true story of the ISIS Ra Elites, the Israelites, and um, this is the those were pharaonic dynasties that were cast out of Egypt, and um, that's where they trace their lineage to. So um, this this changes the whole discussion about really who runs the show, and just how much power these royals and these elites have. Yeah, um, you said something before that I, I love that. You- you brought it up because it's, it's it's the analogy that I use when I try to explain to people that there are these like global conspiracies or global secret societies. Like, like you believe in the mafia, right? Like you've watched all the movies, apply that globally. And you give a, a clearer idea of what's going on with these Royal families and the intermingling and the fighting and the wars. And so I just, it's so, it's interesting how people, it's so difficult for them to make the jump from a more local to a global level, but it seems obvious to me. It is obvious. Um, that was actually the connection I made in chapter eight of Cult of the Medics. When you get to that, I ask a question that I think is really important. Is there, what if there's a connection between the criminal underworld and the criminal overworld, right? What if there's a connection? What if the criminal underworld, as we look at it, which is just a bunch of gangs and mafias fighting for turf um, and trying to have their little empires, and do they do business with the criminal overworld, which would be your elites, your royals, your secret societies, your Masonics, et cetera. Um, do they do business? Because I think it's easy to demonstrate because those elites have the ability to go between the black market and the white market, right? Whereas the criminals are only relegated to the black market, the underground market. Um, the elites can work under the cover of the light, right? Because they're they're in, they're in charge. They're in power. The, the media is behind them. They get positive coverage. People think they're benign. And so uh, there's no, nobody's going to connect that. They think when you say mafia, they're thinking Tony Soprano, they're thinking Don Carleone, they're thinking the Sicilian mafia. Uh, but there's every one of these groups is just as comparable to a mafia. Um, I've even got quotes from former pharmaceutical reps that compared the pharmaceutical industry to organized crime and the mafia. And, um, and so when you know that, and, and don't forget the pharmaceutical industry is literally the most powerful agency on this planet. I mean, it, it's more powerful than the military industrial complex. It's more powerful than the oil and gas complex. It is the, it's the big player. And so if the top Royal families in the world, want to hold power, they have to do business with these medics, right? So there is a relationship that's there. And then if I show you the criminal track record of these pharmaceutical companies, which I haven't, I still haven't found people that debate me on that. Most people, even the normies would agree. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about big pharma, right? Well, they've been involved in criminal activity that would blow your mind. And that's what I try to document for people. Uh, experimenting on Nigerian children, uh, experimenting on thousands of children in India, uh, China, the, what they've done to us, just on and on we could go. And then when they get pulled in front of a court, they have so much money and influence that if they haven't paid off the judges, they end up just getting a slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. They pay a little fine and they're back in business the next day. Like even Pfizer, I went through in chapter uh, three or five, I can't remember, a whole history and I only, it was only a short little chapter of the history of crimes committed by Pfizer. And they are in the, they've paid millions and billions. They've paid multi-billion dollar fines for killing and maiming people 
with their drugs for having people sign on to be a part of drug trials when they didn't know what the effects were going to be. That breached the Nuremberg Code. So they got charged. And what do they do? They don't go to jail or maybe a couple low henchmen go to jail. They pay the fine back in business. So what's to say that if pharma is run like that, and we know there's a connection between pharma, the medical complex, and groups like the Knights of Malta, which were formerly the Knights Hospitallers, which their symbols are all over your medical industry, they are the progenitors of big pharma, okay? Um, and every single duke, prince, top-level elite in this royal entourage is a knight of Malta. Also, all of your top intelligence CIA founders, all of them knights of Malta. All the aides and top guys working next to Adolf Hitler in Germany, knights of Malta. Some of the top guys close to the, the Stalin regime, knights of Malta. So what's going on here? There's connections. So when I call them the head of a massive criminal empire, I haven't even got into the legal system and the maritime admiralty law and how they destroyed your freedom. They destroyed your Magna Carta by creating you into a private corporation of your own where you're sold on the stock markets of the world as stock, the same way the ancient slaves would have been when they went in and colonized someplace. They grab some people, they sell them into slavery, they profit off of it. Now they've got the whole world in their hands because every human being born with a birth certificate in a hospital has a birth certificate that's linked to the stock exchanges of the world where you're sold as a good and a service or you're, you're like a good, you're a, re, you're a resource, right? And you got human resource management divisions in all, your, in all your city structures, right? So who runs that? We're getting closer when we look at the royals. We're not quite at the tip of the pyramid in my opinion, but we're getting a lot closer then your Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab, those guys are still little lieutenants. They're not up at the top. Yeah. You sound like such a conspiracy theorist, David. <laughs> I know, I know. And I am, I'm just, I'm accepting the label. I'm a conspiracy, but I'm more of a, I would say I'm a conspiracy, a conspiracy researcher. That's what I like. Yeah. I research them and I try to find out which ones are true and which ones aren't. Because let me ask you gentlemen this, after what we just went through the past three years, would you say that a major bulk of conspiracy theories actually turned out to be conspiracy facts or am yeah. I, yeah. am I still off base? Here? I feel like they usually do, except for the really outrageous ones that get thrown into the mix just to make all the non outrageous ones and the people that follow them and believe in them to look like crazy people, you know? Now there's a good point. They do that. Yeah. There's a bunch of those, but um, we're talking about is the real stuff. Yeah, for sure. So I want to, there's a couple things I want to talk about here. You mentioned the Knights of Malta a bunch of times. Can you just give a little bit of like some background on the Knights of Malta if you can? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, we do a lot of this in the Cult of the Medics. Um, so Knights of Malta, the reason we're picking on these guys, again, they're not just a bunch of old fogies that are symbolically there just holding on to some old relic from the past. Um, this group has had some of the top, including Lord Evelyn Rothschild in its ranks, okay? So for those people that think the Rothschilds run the world, Hold on a second. What was the name Rothschild again? The Red Shield. Mm. What was the first Red Shield? Well, it was the Italian merchant families that held the Red Shield. And so I look at the Rothschild, Rockefeller type guys as basically just employees or agents who manage the wealth on behalf of these elites who were land and resource wealthy and they had lots of gold but they didn't know how to manage money in the modern world. So that they brought these banking families in to uh, officiate on their behalf. So that's why you get that. 
But to get into Knights of Malta, they started out, they go all the way back. They're probably the oldest secret society on the planet. Uh, one of the oldest. Uh, they're a knightly order that on their website, they're going to tell you they are the official military order of the Catholic Church in Rome. That's that's what they are. That's what they've always been. They've been on team Catholic, team Pope for the longest time. When the Templars, uh, and their original name was Knights Hospitallers. So this is where the dead giveaway comes in. The idea of a hospital didn't even exist until these guys came around during the Crusades, the period of the Crusades. So they were over there uh, bringing the light of God to the Muslims uh, during the Crusades, allegedly. And uh, they saw that there was a lot of business opportunities there. Number one, the Templars and these Knights of Malta had liaisons with a lot of the occult groups in the Middle East. So we did a whole series on this on Unslave called the Eastern Illuminati. So this is where the Eastern groups fled to after the, those periods of history. And so these, the, at the time, they were the Knights of St. John. That's the first name they had, the Knights of St. John of Jerusalem. Then they got known as the Knights Hospitallers because they built the first hospitals to care for the sick and wounded during the Crusades. They found out they could profit from doing this. So they started amassing a way of financing their military escapades through hospitals. Then they expanded it to the, no, to the idea of building hotels where they just build these places where people come and rent from you like an inn. And then they manage that. And that was another little, it's like the mafia. Oh, we could uh, we get a little piece of the pie in the hotel business. And then they get a little piece of the pie in the hostel business. So hotel, hostel, hospitalers, all that stuff comes from these guys. Okay. And uh, they, they're, they, I would say this historically, their lineage, whether genetically or mostly just ideological. Okay. We'll just leave it there. Um, is they go back to the Benedictines. And this is why they pay homage constantly to St. John the Baptist. And if you know the history of the Benedictines and the order of St. John before these guys were even a thing, you can trace that back to a group that we've been talking about called the fourth sect. So there was mm. the fifth sect and then the fourth sect. And these are ancient sects that go back to like ancient Egypt. Okay. Look at the Sabbateans. This that, would be that, your that, Sabbateans. And, and everybody thinks, oh, well, you're talking about the Jews. Like, no, no, no. Don't even use the word Jew. It's totally misunderstood. It's not what you think it is at all. Uh, elite royal bloodline families. And they come from a lot of different places in the world. Okay. But the main thing is that these guys were a part of an ancient medical cult. Okay. And in Greece, if we, if we kind of skip over Egypt and come to Greece, you have something called the cult of a cult of a Sepleus. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Cult of a Sepleus. This guy was, and they actually called it a medical cult. <laughs> and he had, he was uh, pictorialized as a guy. He looked like a wizard that was holding a staff with a snake going up the staff. And this symbol was adopted later by the medics. And they used two versions of the staff. One is the cult of a Sepleus staff with the one serpent. And the other is the hermetic staff with the twin serpents going up, which um, there's a lot of ways we can analyze that. But either way, the fact that they're using serpent symbolism, uh, what was the symbol used on the crown of the ancient pharaohs? What symbol did they have on their crown? The dragon? Not the dragon, but the serpent, right? Uh, the, 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 they would have the serpent coming out of the forehead of the, yeah. of the pharaoh. Now, on a, on a more benign note, we're just talking about the opening of the third eye. 
right? That's what the eye of raw is. It's your pineal gland. Um, your pineal gland emits melatonin and it's the light receptor in your body. And they knew that if they could activate that light receptor, they could have great vision, right? And so they use the serpent to symbolize wisdom. And also in the ancient world, they symbolize it as medicine because they knew serpents, they could take the poison, the snake, the, 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 uh, the venom peptides, and they could make weapons out of it. So they could turn it into like biochemical warfare, or they could use it for medicinal purposes. So this brings in the story of these mendicants. They were called mendicants or apothecaries. The apothecaries were sort of like the guys that, uh, they were the physicians of these elite royals. And they were the guys going in there and using a combination of old alchemy and the science of the day to try to keep these guys alive. And there was an old myth in the apothecary tradition from which these Knights of Malta are descended from of the elixir of life, something called the elixir of life. And if you go listen to like Manly Palmer Hall and some of these guys, they'll give you a very esoteric a uh, very religious-like explanation for what the elixir of life is. But remember, these guys aren't the high sages. They're people that usurp the throne and just criminals that just want to use it for power. So to them, an elixir of life, doing the actual spiritual process is way too difficult. That's not what they're there for. They're there for power. So the elixir of life for them was where I think we get into some of these blood drinking rituals um, and some of the other more nefarious things that we don't have to really talk about if we don't want to that they've been using children for, for centuries. Um, and so, you know, that story is all embedded in the history of this ancient cult, ancient line that grew into this hospital or cult that became a military cult. Think of it as a cult that became, they had, they just like, well, we need a military wing to defend the cult, defend the faith. They had um, some skirmishes with the Templars when the Templars, and I think a lot of this was just on the surface, but that's another story. The Templars are other players in this. They were the first uh, banking families of the world. They were the first international bankers. They were the first ones to create uh, the basically debt-based currencies. And they amassed a lot of wealth. They pissed off the church, though, because they strayed away from the original canon of, the Christ of Christianity, and they became their own gang. So it was like there was a, there was two gangs fighting each other. One was Christendom over here with your Knights of Malta, your popes and all that, the Vatican. That's your Knights of Malta. And then there was the Templars, which were looked at as a rogue occult group. And they were occult because they learned the secrets uh, originally from these Eastern groups who have a lineage going well back into ancient India and all that. And they got all that knowledge. And I think they amassed a great amount of wealth as well. And then when the church excommunicated the Templars from their orders and they burned, uh, what was it? Clairvaux, de Molay, and they burned all these Templars at the stake. Those were just the knights. Those were the, the physical knights. Okay. But there was an order of clerics that were behind them called the Cistercian order. And there's a deep tie between the Cistercians and the Knights Hospitaller. So I thought, oh, there's a connection there. And then when you find out that after the Templars were sort of disbanded and everybody thought they disappeared, people forget that the Templars, and not even just the Knights, but the, uh, the actual knowledge keepers of what the Templars discovered, they went underground and became secret societies. And then as the power of the Knights of Malta was growing, and they eventually went from be calling, being called Knights Hospitallers to 
um, holding a, a major stronghold in Malta on the island of Malta. And that's where they adopted the term Knights of Malta. And if you go to Malta today, it's all Knights of Malta stuff all over the place because they run that place. Well, they eventually started to adopt the rogue Templars and they absorbed all that wealth and knowledge into their order. So now when we're talking Templars and, and medics, um, we're kind of splitting hairs because they have essentially got merged into the same mega order and were recruited back into the service of the Vatican. So uh, a long history, I know, but it's so fascinating. And it's, it's a story that, again, relating it for people to the story of the mafias that you've heard. Uh, you know, even if you're watching Sopranos or Godfather, Godfather 3 whistleblows so much about this, but you watch these mafia shows and they'll show you how this kind of stuff works in the criminal underworld where one day these mafia guys are fighting over turf and fighting over territory or whatever. And then another day they come together to aid each other in a battle against another group or to uh, not get prosecuted by the cops or the feds. So there's always, because they're cutthroat psychopaths, it, it has to be a mutual, a mutual interest if they come together. And then if somebody gets pissed off, you get these little battles that happen. Well, I think everybody can understand that, but they somehow let that leave their mind when they start studying this and they go, well, the Templars were the good guys and the medics were the bad guys. Well, it's not so easy. Like it's, it's different mafia groups that obtained power and weld it, held it over the people and committed incredible inhumane acts. You wouldn't even believe. And then one day they're battling another day they're hanging out together. And, and at the top, you have also the higher structure above them that's trying to constantly centralize power in the background. So when we're talking royals, we're talking chivalric knightly orders or secret societies, you have to look into the ancient world, you have to look into the symbols, and you have to understand the history of where this all came from. And that is just like, that's why it takes 12 documentaries to tell the story. It's just so massive. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like, um, we don't learn this in school. They don't teach us this in fifth grade and sixth <laughs> Who grade. Who built the schools <laughs> for you? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Just the depth of what we don't know and what's been kept from us is so incredibly vast. In your opinion, like, what's what's the goal? Like, how do we how do we break out of this amnesia? Sure, we can share this inf information. We can have these conversations. But all right, sure. Everyone, everyone, he, everyone in the world hears this podcast. Like, what happens then? Does anything change? Like, you mean knowing this now? Does it change anything? Yeah. Like, how, 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 how does this power structure begin to crumble? If that's ultimately the goal for humanity, how does that begin to disseminate? Well, there's good news. Um, their goal is always the same. They want to hold and maintain illegitimate, unearned power. Okay, that's what. That's what those that's what criminals do. That's the definition of a criminal, somebody that's trying to cheat their way into getting wealth or power, right? Yep. And usually at the expense of other people. So we know what they want and we know what their strategy is. So the benefit to people is that I'm giving you the the playbook and I'm giving you the history and I'm taking the wool off your eyes because you've been blinded by the light. You've been you've been taught a bunch of fairy tales about these people that just simply aren't true. Once you now know this and you can go validate it all for yourself, you don't have to just listen to me. Uh, once you validate it for yourself, now you're in a position where the, hypnot the hypnotism doesn't work on you anymore. Yeah. And that allows you to now start to let your mind think, well, now what's my life going to look like? 
I don't have yeah. anybody to worship anymore because everybody I was worshiping, all these celebrities, they're, they're all involved in all kinds of dark things now. And I don't want to be a part of that. So I got no one to worship anymore. So what am I going to do? Well, this is where the process of self-discovery really begins. And I know you guys do so much on this. Um, and what we're trying to do is get you out of the matrix, right? And so the positive news is, in history, these people have been taken down many, many times. Many times. They've had many failures. They've always faced opposition. This is why they got forced into secret societies and underground so many different times is because they were discovered by even people in their own classes. Do you know that a lot of information you're going to actually learn about the Illuminati and these powerful elite bloodline families is not going to come from some conspiracy website. It's going to come from you reading and translating the letters and the manuscripts that were being passed around during the 16-1700s between these elites themselves where they were warning each other, hey, this dark cult is trying to recruit us all into this thing. Let's stay away from it. I got quotes from, well, this came from Tessarian actually, but he brought me onto these quotes of uh, the Duke of Brunswick in the 1700s, blowing the whistle on the Freemasonic lodges as they were getting infiltrated by this dark cult. Um, and, you know, so many times. So a lot of what we know and what we can research about these groups came from insiders, whistleblowers, and people in those ranks. A good example would be, we've had people like Baron Avril Manhattan, who came out. He was an Italian aristocrat. He was a Knight of Malta himself. He was an, a member of the Vatican. And he came out and blew the whistle. And he wrote, I don't know how many books. One was called Vatican Billions and all this. And he was an insider that blew the whistle. Malachi Martin. Uh, I, I list these guys in chapter six, all the guys that have come out. Today, we have Archbishop Vigano in Rome, who's, he's coined the term the deep church. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about deep state. Well, he's out there blowing the whistle on the deep church. He's like, yeah, they're all in bed with the World Economic Forum, and they're using this pandemic to create the new world order they've always wanted. And they're serving Satan. Like, that's what he's saying, right? So we've had nothing but whistleblowers coming to warn us. And in the past, as that information gets to not the masses, but to a significant group of people that can do something to change it, we've seen the American Revolution. We've seen, uh, you know, how many different times in history have small groups, William Wallace, the whole story of that, you know, trying to kick the Longshanks dynasty out of Scotland for how, how long. Uh, there's always been these resistances, even during World War II, even during, you know, they, they had to back so if you have the Vatican and the royals backing the Nazi regime, and then you had other elites backing the Soviet experiment, and then you see that all those experiments are all funded by American and British bankers, and then you realize they had to pack that in before it got to where they were hoping it would go because it was failing because all of Europe and all of America and all the world was fighting against it. So they had to pull back and they do this slow thing. So what I'm trying to say is there's many instances in history where we've turned these people back. We've hung, drawn, and quartered them. We've, we've arrested them. We've smoked them out. We've put good people in power for a period of time, and then they eventually get taken over. But it's, been, it's not just a story of evil. Yeah. This story of history and even the story of royals is not all a story of evil. There are good, good royal families that tried to fight against this, that tried to stop this, right? Um, there were, there, there, just like in the medical system, there were, I learned about the cult of the medics from doctors, right? So what does that tell you? Whistleblower, insiders. Um, so we live in a duality. 
you can't really appreciate and understand what goodness is and what freedom is until you study evil and tyranny and you know it through and through. Mm -hmm. If I'm a jiu-jitsu, I'm a martial artist, right? I can't teach you an effective way to defend yourself or how to win a fight unless I have been both the hammer and the nail in my career, unless I know what it's like to experience these techniques and also to use these techniques. I need both. So when you're trying to find the truth, you can't just look at all the ponies and rainbow stuff. It, it, this is my message. Is, and I'm not trying to beat you over the head with the dark stuff either, because that can also be an extreme. You need to look at it as, well, in the universe, there's a, everything is dual. There's a duality principle to all things. And humans are just a microcosm of the entire universe, which means we possess the potential for both extremes. And that's where free will comes in. What these guys are doing, they're serving one side of the force, right? Let's just keep it simple. And then people like us, we want to serve truth, goodness, freedom, justice, all these good things. Well, we're serving the other side. Um, and you must understand both if you're really going to be a good servant of truth, right? In order to be a servant of truth, you have to know what a lie is. You have to study liars. You have to study criminals and psychopaths, see how they operate. And what that does is it shouldn't depress you. It should empower you so that you now know how to deal with that enemy and that adversary. And in the big picture, brother, the enemy and the adversary we're facing right now, whoever they are, is on a big cosmic level. It's the appropriate challenge to induce a reaction that will help evolve consciousness and evolve humanity and evolve this universe in the big picture. So there's a purpose for everything. And I don't think these guys think of it like that. They just justify their criminality and their evil, just like any psychopath would. But we should look at it as an even bigger perspective from them to say, you're here actually helping me evolve. And I'm going to see it like that. I'm not going to be afraid of you. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get on my knees in front of you. I see you as the the most self-murdered type individual that could ever exist. That's all these people are. They're little betas pretending to be alphas. And alpha beta, that's not a genetic thing. That's not a royal bloodline thing. That's a consciousness thing, right? And so we need to see what these people really are. So we stop worshiping them. We need to see the holes in the lines in all of their dogmas that they've put out to keep us blinded so they can loot us and rob us and use us as resources and then take the power back and that can only happen on an individual level first before any kind of mass resistance or great awakening. The first great awakening is an individual process. And uh, that's why I love your guys show so much because you give so much killer information on how to do that and keep doing that. Talking about this and, uh, and learning about this is the way out of it in the end. I agree, man. 100% dude. Like you got to do the inner work first and foremost you know, uh, if I didn't get in touch with the liar and the cheat and the fucking the darkness within me, I wouldn't be able to sniff it out in the world. You know, that's just the way that's, that's, the, way, that's the way I've looked at it. And I've known people in my life who who have completely repressed like the part of them that can maybe be dishonest. And what happens? They always get taken advantage of. You know, Isn't that so, funny? Because naivety. Yeah, that's you're talking about the naive. Like I always thought all these people that were all wearing masks and masking their kids and doing all this stuff for the pandemic. Why were they doing it? Why were they really doing it? You know, most people mean well, right? The average person you're going to talk to, they might not have 
all the lights on upstairs, but they're not trying to like take over the world and start yeah. human trafficking and drug trade ring. They're not trying to do that. Um, they just want to get on with their life. But the reason they acquiesce to this level of tyranny and they choose to stay ignorant of it is because they're good people. They're, they're, they don't, they don't, you know, they probably have their own little inner shadows and stuff like that, but not to the level of like a Ted Bundy or some of these creatures. Right. So they, uh, they don't want to even know about it. That's how, that's how much they just want to say, Oh, I don't want to know about that. I'll just do what I'm told. Right. Um, but in the end, it's their virtue that's weaponized against them. People wore those masks and took those shots and lined up for this cult to drink the Kool-Aid, which I wouldn't recommend because they thought they were going to save lives because they were told that. And they believed known liars and criminals took them at their word and went in and did it. And this is the story of evil. Evil doesn't come up and go, hi, I'm super evil. I want to take over the world and kill all you guys, depopulate <laughs> the planet and turn this terraform, this planet into something that's better for me. Like they don't come out like that. They, they, they come out with sheep's clothing. They come out with the wings of angels. They come out looking angelic. That's how you get people like Jim Jones. I mean, he, he had a thousand people go and drink Kool-Aid and kill themselves under his command, but he didn't get to that on day one. He was a charismatic guy that was talking about unifying the whites and the blacks in California and bringing unity. And he called himself the black haired raven of socialism and all this stuff. And people went, yeah, that's what we need. We need to come together as a community and, and, uh, and stop all these divides. So he got them in by their virtue and then he promised them things and then he led them and then kept going and going. And then it got to a point where it's like, guys, the only way to reach enlightenment is just drink this, you know, and people did it. So it's our naivety and our virtue that gets used against us. It's not an obvious thing. And this is why people are going to call you a conspiracy theorist because you're pointing this out. That's really what it is. You could put a mountain of evidence on their desk that there's nothing but conspiracy happening in the world. And they'll sit back and go, yeah, you're just a negative black pill, whatever. And you're like, no, listen, it's only like that because we're in that state of ignorance. And the difference is you believe you're serving something good. But how many times has that happened? Like, I bet you all the Germans believe they were serving something good. All the Chinese under Mao thought they were serving something good. A lot of Canadians in Canada think they're serving something good by doing what Trudeau tells them. Everybody thought the queen was, she's just this beautiful icon of virtue and grace and beauty and, and just leadership and all this stuff they talk about. And, and so those are qualities that are good qualities. And of course they're going to play that character in the public, right? But what goes on behind the closed doors? So yeah. I think what it is, is like, we're going through an upgrading in our emotional and spiritual and psychological intelligence yeah. by experiencing directly what it's like to be betrayed by people we trusted. And that's painful. Nobody wants to know that all the people they've been worshiping and looking up to uh, that they thought were the saviors. No one wants to know that they were lied to. Um, but, you know, experience with taking the advice from these people is what's going to change your mind on that. And that's kind of what we have to go through. So it's painful for us. We've known this for a long time, but, um, you know, time has its own cycle. The truth has its own power and we really just have to keep trying to be facilitators for it you know that's all we can do yeah i think that's it right there is that like yeah we could try to wake people up but we just got to keep living our life and if people are into it then they're going to go on their own journey because everyone is on their own journey i don't i don't sit here and go like oh, i know how everyone should be and how everyone should wake up at a certain time timeline in their life you know but all i could do is be me 
in the most unique way possible, live my life. And if it impacts people, it impacts people. But back to what you were saying before, I, I think I took this quote from one of your shows with, with Michael. I don't know if it was you or Michael said it, but it was like, psychopaths co-opt your virtue and use it against you. And when I first heard that, it's just like, it just landed so clearly for me. And you think about all these television shows that I've watched, like, like Breaking Bad, it's like the philanthropist, the person in the, in, you know, in the town that does good, that is like the drug runner and is doing all shady shit. It happens very often. You know, we, we put yeah. these philanthropists and these, these people in power on a pedestal. And yet what's going on behind, behind their doors, you know, and very often, not all the time, of course, but there's some shady activity. And they yeah. play a role. And that's what psychopaths do. You know, so, psychopaths are some of the most charismatic, charming people. Like you said, they're not walking around the streets with a fucking ass and like blood <laughs> dripping from their mouth. You know, well, like Halloween. They're wearing yeah. the mat. They look like they're a serial killer. Like they're, the they're wearing serial, suits, man. They're wearing they wear suits. suits and they wear royal garb and they wear knightly shining armor for you. What if you find out the knight in shining armor is not a shining one at all? They just wear that to blind you as they take your head, you know, like you have to remember that. So this, again, and I talk about this stuff to also remind people that um, just because we're looking at some of these dark subjects and looking at the criminal history of, of humans, that's what we're looking at, uh, doesn't mean that there isn't any virtue left in the world. Doesn't mean that, because I, I talk to a lot of these guys that have just given up, they go on the, these rabbit holes and they don't come out of it. And they just go, it's hopeless. There's nothing we can do. Especially when you start bringing in like, some of the other big stuff going on behind the scenes. It's like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But you just remember, uh, you know, read people like Walter Russell, read people um, that are there to tell you that there's two sides to this spectrum. And look at humanity, look at history. Uh, we came out of the dark ages once upon a time, right? We came out of dark times and built beautiful poetry, literature, art. Uh, we even did build the foundational principles of human freedom. We built that. It, it was built in the West. It was built in Western civilization. Uh, so it's not all been bad. We can't just look at it as this big bad thing, but we can't possibly move forward, especially while we're under fire right now by these globalists that are trying to literally take over and control the entire planet under one ring, okay? That's what they want. While we're under fire, we... We can't just look at the bad stuff. We have to look at the good stuff. We have to also start to think, what can we create in the future moving forward that can put the proper checks and balances in place and get empowered moral people in positions of authority so that this doesn't happen again, at least for a long time? How do we build something for our children that's worth having? And that's what I struggle for. That's what I fight for is, okay, I'm going to tell you the past. Uh, we're telling you about history so that you can understand what's going on now. But ultimately, the goal is to start evolving the conversation and going, okay, what do we do to correct these problems? How do we help people? And maybe in the end, there's no one trick solution. It's that humanity has to go through a life or death experience, like a near death experience. That's what I think humanity is going through right now. We're being brought to a precipice of having a near death experience. Many people didn't make it already. Many more people won't make it at the end. But the vast majority of us have to reach the end of that precipice in order for real change to occur. It's just what has to happen with human beings. I don't know why, but that's the way it is. And that's why I see this all as a bigger process of helping to actually evolve us and bring us into the future. Um, but yeah, we got, we got a lot of battles ahead of us to fight. And you can't fight those battles without knowing 
what really went what down and what, who these people really are. You need that information to move forward for sure. Yeah. And like you've mentioned, knowing thyself, you know, mm-hmm. the the only, I, I only began to really wake up to the darkness in the world as I woke up to the darkness in myself, as I became vulnerable to the own lies within me. Could I be open to realize and hold space for the darkness and the lies and the illusion that exists outside of me? And like you mentioned, the same goes for the good, man. I know the good exists because I know the good exists in me. I know those yeah, virtuous yeah. qualities, those that that integrity, that truth um, is present within me. So obviously it exists in the world. And I've said this many times, but the great hermetic principle as within, so without, you know, let your own life, let your own individual process be a microsm and be, be, be a signpost of what's going on in the bigger picture as well. And if you're improving, if you're evolving, if you're growing to be more conscious, to be more responsible, to act with greater integrity, then I think you can rest upon that, that that's taking place outside of you as well. And this entire process, the last three years, we've just been riding this incredible wave, man. This is, things have been accelerated, like no freaking tomorrow. Um, and it's exciting. It really is exciting. And I, that's a beautiful perspective. And I agree. Um, I feel the same. Like I know how to sniff out this type of stuff because I've learned how to address my own shadow. Yeah. Um, and there's so much more like we, we're all on this journey and um, it's, but the fact that we're here shows that it's not all hopeless. The fact that we're having this conversation right now shows it's not over and these guys haven't won. Um and you just need to bring that spirit into this that says, I'm going to seek the truth at all costs. I'm going to speak the truth, even when I'm afraid to speak it. Um, and I'm going to make my own stand and the world will do what the world does, right? That's up to every person on this planet. Um, nature will have a way of dealing with all of it in the end. Nature always wins. We usually lose. So um, it's just a matter of aligning with that natural force of what we call God or spirit and, uh, and, and living according to that. And um, if you look at it as a personal journey and that it is an adventure, mm. it, that takes the edge off. And I think it's true. Like I've always looked at this life as I'm here as an explorer. I'm here as an explorer. I'm exploring. I want to know what's going on in this on this planet out in the Milky Way galaxy during this phase of time. I want to just go hang out there for a lifetime, maybe a few, check it out and then be like, hey guys, see ya. Like I, it, it, there's... I don't believe that death is the end. I don't believe, I believe we're on a cycle of time and I believe that um, there are higher forces at work behind it all. So sometimes you just got to pull yourself out of it a little bit, Uh, not to the point where you're inactive, but pull yourself out. And the old sages would tell you, walk lightly in the world, you know, don't walk so, so committed to it all. Like just walk lightly so that you're not drawn into the depths of despair by it. Right. Cause it can easily bring you there. But the real wisdom, the people that have wisdom, they know how to keep a lively, uh, Walter Russell called it a joyous demeanor, a joyous, lively spirit. Bring that even to the battle. And uh, you see it in Lord of the Rings. You got those back and forths with like Gimli and Legolas as they're they're kind of having these little jokes and they're keeping the lively spirit. It's like a sport to them, right? Taking out these orcs. I don't know. Like that's how I look at it. You got to have a smile on your face while you're pulling out your sword and you're going into the black gates of hell and going like, all right, I was born for this shit. Like that's the mindset you need. Right. So that's what I try to bring. I'm I'm right there with you, man. You got to have fun with it and not, I mean, obviously this is all serious stuff, very serious and yeah. deep stuff, but it's also like, you can't take things too seriously, you know? Yeah. 
Exactly. Like it's serious on one level, but I, I love bringing the humor to it. Guys, have we not had comedy gold uh, this past couple of years? Like yeah. all I got to do is just go start tuning into some of these ridiculous press conferences of these politicians and health advisors and just creating little like memes and video clips that just chop them up. And like people have made like techno remixes and stuff. There's a guy who's a rapper in the U S who's like wrapping out some of Biden's speeches in like a really funny way. Uh, we we're, we have had so many amazing bits of comedy because what is comedy, but just a funny way of telling the truth in the end. Right. Yeah. And laughter kills tragedy and we need it now, not to the point where we're hysterically laughing when we shouldn't be. There are very serious things that you need yeah. to be serious about, but my God, there's people that just look like, they're ready to kill themselves. So I try to bring a little bit of that liveliness to say, Hey, come on. Like, this is why you're here. You came for this life to experience this. You really just want to go back to your slave job. Like you don't want to go back to normal. I don't want to go to their new normal, but we could create our own new normal and let's have some fun doing it in the process. And we'll be serious where we need to be. But you know what, you know what psychopaths hate? Do you know what megalomaniacal sociopaths hate? They hate mockery. They hate it. It's, these elites that want to be worshipped, the last thing they want is to be mocked by the public, right? So honestly, if you ever want a couple arrows in your quiver, if you have a sharp tongue and you know how to use intelligent mockery against propaganda, there's nothing more powerful than that shit. True. So tap into the funny bone sometimes, you know? Oh, yeah, it's true, man. I can even speak from my own experience recently fighting these COVID fines, you know. I was mocking the police before I got to court and I walked out and I was able to, I was able to mock them afterwards as well. You know, I even had a few words for the cop who was in the courtroom as well um, who interrupted my very dangerous criminalistic acts of having a picnic um, with my family. <laughs> oh, man, Joel, I, got, I was going to... Thanks for reminding me. I want to bring you on for a segment to tell your story about that. That That's... Bro, I would That's absolutely crazy. love Good to, man. It's, it's, it's been an ordeal, man. This is like a year and a half after the fact. Uh, wow. But finally got my day in court, self-represented, didn't pay a cent to a lawyer, didn't pay a cent to the government, um, just went in there and did my thing. And, and I prevailed. Um, so it was, wow. it was a proud moment then to walk out of the court and have the paparazzi snap. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Like, did you did just it, give him a smile and put some sunglasses on or something to like catch these <laughs> later or something? I don't know. What was it like? The, the photo that they captured, like, yeah. which I, was perfect. Like it just, you had this look on you like, yeah, what's up? What's up? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. See, no, that's it, bro. That's yeah. it. Just uh, fighting a little fine. You know how much that empowers you? And now you know, you've learned a whole bunch, I'll bet, about how that legal process works. The, the experience was so immensely valuable. Just not not just the you know the, the tip of the iceberg having the hearing itself and being in court, but the entire lead up of going through the different phases. Um, you know the the immensity of why do I have to go through this? Should I just put this in the too hard basket? Do I just pay someone to deal this with me? Do I just pay the fine? Then realizing that I could never live with myself for you know for bowing down or for you know acting upon it not as congruently as as I would have liked. Even if I paid a lawyer and got off by begging on my knees, I would have felt like shit afterwards. Mm. So being able to go there, stand on my feet, speak it exactly like it is, and you know, have that have that real inner experience of being like, now I really understand the law on a deeper level. I've sat, you know, I've sat in a room with a magistrate and with a with a prosecutor. Um, I've seen evidence. I've had these conversations. I've felt all the nervousness of all of that. I've confronted that on a mm. on, on a level. It is something which you know I'm so grateful for. Now that I've actually had it, because I've changed immensely as a, as a result. 
And that's something that, you know, is, is gold to me. That is a major victory, brother. Like seriously, like well done. And that legal empowerment, yeah. we've been talking about this. We're going to do more on it. You guys have had some good guests too on that. Um, learning about what real law is and that there are laws in place. If you know how to use that system, they just know how to use the system to make it work for them. We can use the system to make it work for us, right? Yeah. And um, so just knowing that, and then I think even on a spiritual level, just the ability to bring your spirit to it, look them in the eye and just tell it like it is and defend yourself. What a masculine thing to do. So hats off to you, man. That's awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And I've got to shout out to my wife as well. She was she was with me. She was the co-accused. She had to defend herself as well. And yeah, massive props to Alyssa for, for stepping up in that way too. And you're right, man. The thing that I learned most is that it's not all controlled from top to bottom the way you think it is. The law can work in your favor. There actually are reasonable judges out there. Um, you know, so the whole fear of I'm just going into the abyss to be, you know, obliterated. It's not the case. If you actually, you know, like, like, like you said, esteem yourself with the right knowledge, empower yourself by actually learning what's going on, taking the time to understand it, um, it can work in your favor, definitely. But you have to bring yourself to meet that challenge. Totally. And I'm, I'm hoping and praying that we can use those mechanisms of the law eventually to try these criminals yeah. of what they've done to all of us. And I think it's going to happen. And I see good people working on that front. So yeah. there's good people fighting on all levels from you going and fighting your ticket from all the Canadians that I know that went and fought their arrive can't bullshit with the arrive can app in Canada. Uh, I call it the arrive can't because you can't come back in unless you got jabbed. Um, so they went and fought these fines. My, my sister-in-law, her and her husband were fined $7,500 each for simply asking questions about why they had to download a government app and why they're, they did another type of serology test, why that wasn't, because it shows they're completely immune to COVID, the serology test. Like we just showed you, we have immunity from this disease. What else do you need to see? And they, they got fined just for questioning the people at the airport. Wow. So they had to do this big ordeal. It ended up being that they had just had to email in their argument because <laughs> they're, they're processing so many of these. Yeah. They emailed their argument in and it ended up that this arrive can thing just got dropped. And so they got an email back saying, yeah, it's, we just threw it out. No worries. It's so, withdrawn now. That, but that, again, that's, like, that's often the case. As soon as you put up any bit of a fight, they're like, oh, too hard basket. You know, yeah. they, don't, they don't actually want to meet you there. They don't. No, there's a lineup around the door of easy pickings. Yeah. Why would they want to fight someone like you? And isn't that yeah. how, how these bullies roll? Yeah. Is they're looking for easy targets. So I tell this to all the kids when I would teach jujitsu. I'm like, you will probably be able to get through school without getting into these fights, literally by just how you carry yourself. You don't even have to know how to choke someone and, like, and yeah. block a punch. You just need to know how to have that confidence, you know, chin and have that aura. And they'll go look for easy targets. Think of predators in the wild. Um, I live amongst bears and cougars and eagles and shit. And they're not looking... If, if you get a pissed off bear walking across the path, might be a little different with grizzlies. Don't mess with grizzlies, but black bears or whatever. Uh, you just got to be big and be talking to them and be confident and they'll just take off because they're not into, they're not, they don't want a tough meal. <laughs> they're looking for an easy lunch, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's the same with these people. And even the top of this, this, this group that everybody's all oh, the big controllers, they're so powerful, these archons. It's like, they're not, they're little, 
they have little man syndrome and little woman syndrome. They're yeah. the pussies amongst us, man. Yeah. If all we got to do is show some teeth, how could like a little renegade like William Wallace or these 3% of the American males that rose up to fight the British Empire, how could that scare these people? Well, it's because they're they're betas pretending to be something they're not. So it's yeah. the same in these courts. You walk in, you show respect, you do your thing, you represent yourself well, make a good argument, and, and that's at, it. That's at it. At least right you're there. fighting back. You, pre- you present yourself. It's the same thing, yeah. right? Exactly. Bring the presence. Actually, we used to talk about this in fighting. Um, you would know the difference if you're fighting a world champion from somebody that's just another average fighter, not just because of their moves and their techniques, but because of their aura in the ring. They call it ring presence. And you'll notice the best champions in any fighting sport, Muhammad Ali, some of these top guys, when they go in and fight, you you can't take your eyes off them, even though they're just flipping a jab or something. Like they're just, it's the aura. And they're making badass, tough fighters afraid of them just by their aura. Like it says something. So bring the ring presence to it. And that most of the time will win a lot of battles for you. But the other thing is the legal empowerment, which is really key to know how the law works. And now you're learning how to defend yourself legally. That's right. And now we're just trying to figure out how to get our whole countries out of these messes, mm-hmm. but it'll come. You can see the wheels moving and we're yeah. going to figure out a way, man. Justice is coming. I think, yeah, I think yeah. so. And I feel it in my bones too, man. Um, and like, like, like we've mentioned, all these little wins on a micro level, they're going to they're gonna add up and it's gonna, we're going to begin climbing the scale. We're going to see bigger and bigger wins um, up the totem pole for sure. Oh, yeah. I think we're going to see things that humans have never seen before. I think well, so. We're, we're going to create history. To, yeah. We're going to be the grandfathers holding our, our grandkids on our lap, telling them about this time. That's how epic it's going to be over the next couple of years, I think. I, th- I, I think so, too. I've got goosebumps right now. Um, heads yeah, but... But it's the truth. That, that tells me it's the truth. It does. Yeah, you know? Exactly. Well, it's <laughs> going to happen. And especially when we're here fighting it. And we're fighting it intelligently, right? We're not going all right, guys, let's go grab a bunch of guns and go storm the castle. They'd love nothing more. This is intelligent, strategic warfare. And it's about getting yourself ready, equipping yourself. I've been talking a lot on my show about the importance of taking care of your body, health, right? All of that, the somatic intelligence, right? Your asthma. Um, And then uh, taking care of your mental health. And this is what shows like this can do. Um, Educating yourself, just the ability to educate yourself is so empowering. Like what you did before you went in to fight this legal battle or uh, what we've done on these shows. Um, So the people listening to shows like yours, they're in good company. You're all learning new things and seeing things in different angles. That's healthy for you. That's good for you. And then if you follow up all these resources and make this your own personal study, then you're on a level of empowerment that none of these bastards can mess with because now you are the example of that sovereign individual that is their worst nightmares. Okay. And uh, if there's too many of us running around, their power is gone. So I see that happening. I see it building. Um, It's never going to be perfect. We're never going to agree on everything, but in the end, freedom's going to win out and the truth always wins. Always. I love a man. David, can never thank you enough for your presence, your knowledge, and your incredible ability to communicate um, what you've learned and what you've experienced is always mind blowing. Um, you're a voice that you know was that was there for me 
um, in, in the early days. And it's led me to a path where I am now and get to have this conversation directly to you and with you. And Eurasmos and I, I know are both incredibly grateful for that. Thank you for everything you've shared today on this platform. Um, I'm sure everyone got a lot out of it. Can you let our people know um, what you have coming up, what, what they should go um, find and what you've currently got going on? Wow. Well, first of all, you're too kind, man. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I love you guys too. And uh, what you're doing is so important. And I love supporting your show. And um, if people want to know what I'm into, man, I got so much going on because I like to keep myself busy. There's so much information that I've been looking at that I can't just keep inside anymore. I have to just put it out there. My wife finally helped me build this beautiful library, organizing all my books. I've been haunting used bookstores for years. Hmm. And I've got all these weird, old, rare books. Um, and now I have access to them directly. So I'm going to be building some uh, really top shelf podcasts. And I've now kicked on my premium, my Truth Warrior premium, where I'm doing deep dives and pulling out these old dictionaries and all this stuff. And I've got a few presentations coming up. Uh, one's going to be on the my view of the Bible and Christianity. And yeah. we're going to be getting into something called esoteric Christianity. Mm -hmm. totally different spin on it, getting into a bit of astrotheology and just kind of all the thinkers, the alternative thinkers around this subject to give you my take on what I think the Bible's really telling you. And then um, we're going to be doing one on the dark side of Tibetan Buddhism. It's going to be an interesting wake-up call for especially the new age crowd because um, we got a lot to talk about with these Dalai Lamas and what's really been going on over there. Love that. Uh, I'm doing one on the extraterrestrial question. I'm going to just give you all my stuff and all my thoughts on that fascinating subject because I definitely think there's a bigger picture happening. Um, and then I'm finishing off or I'm starting 2023 with a whole presentation on something called cosmic superimposition, which is based on the work of Wilhelm Reich and Walter Russell and wow. understanding just the magnitude of what your soul and what your consciousness really is. Uh, so I'm working on those. Um, then I'm working on chapter nine of Cult of the Medics. I'm currently starting getting all the music and all that right now. Um, and so that'll be coming out hopefully end of fall or beginning of winter. And that's all available for free at cultofmedics.com. Uh, constantly churning out amazing top shelf content with Michael Tessarian on Unslaved. Uh, yep. we just did a podcast, everyone on slave. Yeah. Go get there. We're that doing this whole series that's called the secret history podcast. of Scotland, which is absolutely mind blowing right now. And other than that, I'm just going to keep bringing on great guests and, uh, just constantly pushing this out. This is my full-time gig now, and I'm putting my whole heart and soul into it. So, uh, yeah, just go check out all the things and find what you like and throw away the rest. That's the way to do it, man. Dude, love you so much. Really appreciate you. Again, anyone who's listening, really support David. Cult of the Medics is amazing. Uh, check out his premium content. And like Joel said, Unslaved is the reason we're here. That podcast changed my life more than any other uh, library of information. So uh, thank you, man. Oh, thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody listening. And uh, yeah. I can't wait to do this again sometime. Yeah. And also just to anyone else listening, now David is our October guest in our private membership community, Friends of the Truth. So our members are going to have the chance to interact directly with David and ask him questions nice. and have this conversation. And you can you can literally join the conversation in real time with us and David later this month in Friends of the Truth. So if that's something you're interested in, head to friendsofthetruth.co and you can apply to become a member there. We're really looking forward to that one. Guys, 
Thanks for listening. We appreciate you all. We'll see you next time. Take care. Take care. Smoking mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward in evolution to a place where we can share our confusions. Yeah, 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with